1: And welcome back from wherever you're tuning in from. My guest today is Maya Sheikh, who is the President and Chief Commerce Officer at Kibo. Prior to Kibo, Maya founded Sertona, a leader in AI-driven e-commerce personalization in 2004. He served as the CEO until Kibo acquired the company in early 2019. Before founding Sertona, Maya was the CMO and COO of web analytics leader Website Story, which is now part of Omniture Adobe. Before joining Website Story, Maya was the vice president of worldwide marketing and strategic alliances for the enterprise application integration software vendor Supernova Inc. Welcome to the show, Maya.
0: Thank you very much, Kiri.
1: Glad yeah. Glad to be here. So I'm looking forward to talking with you about e-commerce personalization in particular. It's not something that I fully have much of an understanding in, so I'm, I'm looking forward to a bit of an education here. And so as I understand it, a core part of your technology at Kibo is around e-commerce personalization. Can you give us a quick primer on it? What's the business case for investing the time and capital in this technology?
0: really when you think about personalization i think if you go back to the way traditional retail was done was getting to know your customer and understanding your customers needs and preferences and wants and that used to be done in person in brick and mortar stores it's still done that way but of course that kind of one to one personalization Doesn't scale when you can't know every customer. So, personalization technology is something that enables retailers, e commerce, and multi channel retailers to leverage data about their customers and about their merchandise and other factors to really build a better picture of each customer and client to be able to really predict and better serve those customers whether it's the type of service they're looking for the type of merchandise they're looking for and also importantly what's the next steps what's the next step that they should take in terms of maintaining that customer relationship and helping customers find what they're looking for faster and with less friction.
1: And so is the data that is being sort of collected to understand that customer and reflect back who they are and what they're looking for, is that sort of in general collected from the natively from the site in question, or are we also talking about cross-site data collection?
0: Sure, that's a great question. There's obviously a lot of privacy implications when it comes to following consumers or shoppers online across sites, which a lot of online advertising companies do. And with more and more scrutiny around consumer privacy, that's becoming more challenging. We all know Amazon. We all, most of us have used Amazon. And they really pioneered the notion of, Leveraging consumer and shopper data to be able to deliver a more personalized experience. And of course, Amazon has the advantage of having massive amounts of data that a typical retailer site doesn't have. Personalization technologies like Sertona, now Kibo, and others really tend to leverage the specific chopper behavior on a particular retail site and for privacy reasons for example we don't follow a customer across sites so what that means is really the predictive algorithms the modeling has to be very good and effective to be able to deliver you know an accurate prediction of what a consumer might like at that moment there are Other types of data that can be collected in a privacy-friendly way, for example, if you're working with a multi-channel retailer, they have store purchase data that can be used to enhance those predictive models by understanding what's happening in stores, what are people buying together, what are people buying after they buy a particular item, how long does it take to buy that next purchase make that next purchase for example
1: yeah i've heard also about rewards programs being used in this way as well and i think it was maybelline i was reading a, a case study about maybelline not actually having a d2c like purchase capability on their website but they were they stood up a loyalty program where customers could share receipts of purchases they'd made elsewhere and that would be or contribute to a loyalty program obviously there's a lot of customer preference data that could be gathered through that kind of model as well
0: absolutely and that's a great example and speaking of maybelline one of our most innovative clients in the area of personalization is sephora and we've partnered with them for years now and in general, they've been very innovative when it comes to their store experience, their loyalty program. Like you mentioned, using the mobile app to really build a rich data set for each shopper. For example, your skin color, your skin tone, skin conditions, all kinds of information that's, of course, opted in by the shopper and that helps any kind of recommendation engine or personalization platform know more about a particular shopper. And then you tie that with store locations and store inventory, and they're very good at driving foot traffic by giving away samples and also using technologies like geofencing to know if a logged in you know, a mobile app shopper is near a store to entice them to come in. And then once she comes in or he, then there's all that, not only the purchase history, but any kind of browse history and all the personal preferences that are part of their whole rewards platform.
1: Hmm. That's amazing. Yes, a big fan of the Sephora <laughs> rewards program, so that's good to know. Yeah, and as you were describing the data concerns, obviously, with your model that you're not collecting data across sites, I guess you're pretty well prepared for this cookie list era that we're entering now.
0: Absolutely. My experience over 20 years ago with web analytics really taught me to be careful about be conservative about consumer privacy. And so at Sertona, we made sure we only use first party cookie and we don't collect PII, personally identifiable information. And you really don't need that to have an effective personalization program.
1: So on this show, we talk about Amazon a lot. What are some of the things that Amazon does from a personalization standpoint that you think brands should be looking to emulate on their own websites
0: well Amazon as I mentioned earlier they've pioneered the whole notion of data-driven recommendations and then personalized journey and they have so much data that they can do this very effectively I believe their best recommendations come in the books category just you know where they got started and where really no one can match the amount of data they have. But across all categories, they deploy these merchandising zones, whether it's, you know, called people who bought this also bought that or customers like you also purchase these items or they put together bundles when you, you know, click on a product detail page you see in the middle of the page there's some bundles that they've packaged together just to make it easier not only to increase the basket size and average order value but just make it just less friction for the consumer to find what they're looking for and it doesn't really stop there you know if you add something to your cart Amazon is giving you lots of other recommendations. And even post-purchase, based on what you purchase, you'll get emails from them that is trying to give you additional options to come back and buy more. And then the other thing they do well, which is just even if you browse on their site and not purchase anything, you're most likely going to get an email. Saying, hey, you forgot this, or trying to
1: entice you to come back. Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. And those are all pretty accessible upgrades for merchants to be able to make. So definitely some low hanging fruit there.
0: Yeah, depending on whose figures you look at, anywhere from 30 to 40% of their revenues comes from those zones where those personalized zones where their recommendations. And because they have so much data, even if they don't know enough about a shopper, they know enough about the affinities between different products that they can help you find what you're looking for. So that's semi-personalized because it's really not about me, but it's still going to help me find what I'm looking for.
1: Yeah, that's a really great point. So at my company, Bobsled, we work a lot with Amazon's DSP, their demand side platform. And that's really the whole selling point of Amazon DSP is that they have categorized all of their shoppers into psychographic groups. Right, So you could be a tech-savvy baby boomer or you could be a new mother or, you know, there's lots of different kind of groups that they've arranged people into that are all based on their past shopping history and things that they've browsed but not shopped, for example. And so you can target audiences in DSP based on the usual things like demographics but then also what aisles have they browsed but not purchased from. And so they're sort of you could anticipate them being a pretty high consideration shopper and then there's also because Amazon also has all these media properties as well we can even target shoppers down to what film directors <laughs> they like and what like what genre of of TV are they watching on Prime Video so that level of like bringing personalization from not just what products have you bought and researched but what kind of media are you consuming is the level that we're at right now. I think we're going to get even richer sources of data in the future. It's really fascinating to watch all that unfold.
0: Oh, absolutely. And that you bring up a great point. Basically, what content I consume is a predictor of what products I'll buy, and they have all the data, you know, through Prime and other properties as you mentioned, and it's a lot easier to segment into a few buckets like they've done with the amount of data they have then to try to really be laser accurate in one-to-one personalization.
1: Mm. So could you dumb this down to like an eight-year-old level for me? Because that's certainly the level of sophistication I have <laughs> in this subject. But what's the sort of use case between a personalization platform and a customer data platform?
0: Sure. I think you can think of it, I guess, like a car. A car has an engine and it needs fuel. So a customer data platform is really the fuel that drives the personalization engine. And the two work together in a complementary way. If you just have information about your shopper, that doesn't mean you're necessarily personalizing it or taking advantage of it. And in the same way, if you have a personalization platform and lots of algorithms and technology without good data, it's really, you know, it's the garbage in,
1: garbage out. That's a great analogy. I think an eight-year-old, that definitely passes the eight-year-old test. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. I maybe these days, eight-year-olds all have electric bicycles. so I don't know. Maybe they don't use fuel.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuel. Yeah. I have to find a new analogy. No, that's great. That's very helpful.
0: Yeah, maybe it's like cereal and milk. I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And so what sort of, what stage or like scale does it really make sense for a retailer or a brand to invest in this kind of capability? Would you say it's suitable for like a brand with 10 million in revenue running through their e-com side or like what, what sort of, What's the threshold that you think it's where it makes sense to start working on this kind of initiative?
0: Well, it's certainly ten million is a good round number in terms of online revenue we've had, but we've had clients as small as maybe three four million dollars and as large as ten billion dollars in revenue and everything in between. What's really important for an online retailer to consider one is the size of their product catalog. If you have, you know, very few items, let's say you're a luxury brand and you have maybe 200 SKUs or 200 products, most of the e commerce platforms today, including Kibo's platform, are capable of giving you basic cross sell, upsell, merchandising capabilities that would suit the needs of that kind of a catalog. But as your product catalog grows in scale and then complexity where you have size, style, color, or fitment-type attributes, or parent-child relationships, or you know collections, then it becomes just more complicated. The other thing to consider is also how much traffic or visitors or sessions you get. The, the more traffic you have, the more visitor behavior you collect, the more you can leverage the so-called wisdom of the crowd. Even if they're not buying, they're giving you a lot of behavioral data. So that's really what we look at. For example, our solution is very sophisticated. For an online retailer that has a, only a couple of hundred SKUs, it's most likely an overkill but as as they grow into anything over 500 SKUs all the way up to you know millions of SKUs when you look at an auto parts site or automotive parts site or yep. you know general retailer or bookseller then it becomes really impossible to do that without some kind of an automated machine learning driven system.
1: Yep. Yep, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for being so clear on that. Those are good milestones to keep in mind. So something that I'm aware of with this type of technology is how it could improve profitability for a brand. And this is really top of mind for both large brands who are starting to now really reconcile their brick and mortar retail approach and e-commerce and sort of retrofitting an e-commerce channel amongst their brick and mortar accounts and and finding that e-commerce is in many cases less profitable than their brick and mortar channels. And then you've also got these digital native brands who've grown up just with a digital footprint and might now also be reckoning with their own profitability profile. And so the use case that you've described here seems to lend itself pretty well to improving profitability online. Can you speak a little bit to how that mission can be accomplished here?
0: Sure. We've been working with brands like Nike, Adidas, Uniqlo, and many others since the infancy of their digital aspirations, if you will. And traditionally, as you know, the brands haven't been strong in digital, and now everyone's scrambling to get there. And you know, the value of the customer is really immense. And once you have that relationship, it's all about nurturing that relationship and following the data and making sure that you're less transactional and more focus on the lifetime value of the customer. Of course, transactions are important. They pay the bills. But many brands fall short of, you know, they spend a lot of money, what I call Google tax. They pay the Google tax to drive traffic to their site. And then it's a bit of a cul-de-sac or once the transaction is done, they're not leveraging with email with whether it's a mobile app with push notifications other types of follow on interaction to increase the lifetime value of that customer because it takes a lot to get a new customer but it's easy to lose them right they're one they're one tab browser tab away from your competitor and especially if they have brick and mortar you know physical stores and making sure, signing them up for the loyalty program, giving them special offers to drive them into the store. One of the things that personalization technologies can do is also to preferentially serve higher margin products in terms of their recommendations or whatever the merchandising display is on the site. So for example, we may have an affinity score for you based on your browse behavior and past purchase and all that data. But if you're looking at a jacket, there may be 20 jackets that match your profile. Well, what do we have more in inventory that we need to move? Are they all different? Do they have the same contribution margins or do they have different contribution margins? So those type of optimization techniques can help drive conversion, but also drive the margin up.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. And it makes total sense to build that logic in around inventory availability, especially in the situation that a lot of brands and retailers are in right now with supply chains being pretty pretty sticky. And a lot of shoppers online don't want to be served up products that are out of stock. That's a really frustrating experience. I was shopping, I was looking on the Louis Vuitton website and I swear like half of the products that I looked at when I had to click into the product page to see what was in stock. And it was such a frustrating shopping experience because I, I mean, that that's such a basic UI kind of thing, but I, I wasn't being shown products that I could actually buy I was being shown all these sort of irrelevant products that were not even available so it was really a head scratch kind of moment that this you know enormous company had not really thought of that user experience
0: Absolutely that's just that's just unacceptable these days and you know on some sites you can even go all the way to the cart and find out they don't have it or yeah. worse yet you place the order and then then you get an apology email Ugh. and you know one of the other things that we have at Kibo is a distributed order management system ours isn't the only one in the in the marketplace but having retailers especially with all the challenges with supply chain these days having a distributed order management system allows them to have a good view and then share that transparency with the shopper to know how many they have in real time, how many items they have in inventory and then the back end in terms of fulfillment, knowing where to ship it from to, you know, both to save in terms of shipping costs and also leveraging and optimizing their inventory across multiple distribution centers.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That is a very timely capability.
0: But it's still amazing how many retailers don't have real-time inventory systems.
1: Yeah, I bet. Yeah, it's a great time to be alive in this category because, yeah, there's a lot of brands who are, like I said, kind of retrofitting a very traditional business model and one where it was really about relationships with national accounts, with stores and just the whole business needs to sort of be reimagined for this era i want to go back to amazon my <laughs> favorite topic does kibo either integrate or do your clients use the amazon marketing cloud to augment data
0: so kibo doesn't use the amazon marketing cloud some of our clients may do that and others don't what we've learned is that the larger the retailer the less inclined they are to share or exchange information with amazon or have any kind of dependency on on amazon that's oh, you don't believe from, you
1: don't believe what amazon says that they keep it all completely separate
0: <laughs> well it's more about what our retailers
1: right yes you know
0: but yeah. to be clear we do use amazon web services as infrastructure Yep. But even then some of our larger retail clients have partnered with Google only because they just have a no you know, no fox in the henhouse policy.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. I completely understand the hesitation there and the track record is there, right? (laughs) So
0: Exactly. But for smaller retailers and you know the ones that are up and coming. Amazon, both the marketing cloud and the marketplace could be a great, great way to boost presence and revenues. But at some point, you have to pay the pipe.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So in closing, I'm curious to hear a bit more about what you're sort of passionate about these days in our world. What's exciting you right now in the world of e-commerce?
0: Well, what's exciting about e-commerce having been in it for almost two decades now is ironically the massive acceleration that we're seeing because of the pandemic. And, you know, one of my favorite saying the last 18 months has been that COVID is the new chief digital, chief innovation officer. (laughs) And, you know, they're... Many retailers, are clients or not, they've had these long five, 10-year plans to expand their e-commerce and digital footprint. And, you know, here comes this tsunami wave and everybody is just scrambling to do the work of 10 years in a year or two. So that just presents uh, so many opportunities, not just for technology providers like Kibo and others, but also just in terms of innovation that happens on the retail side, whether it's reimagining the store and the function of a physical store or how mobile apps and especially with 5G and other other technological advances coming, whether it's augmented reality or virtual reality, there's just a lot of exciting things that will be enabled through these other emerging technologies.
1: Hmm. And what's one thing that you've recently changed your mind about?
0: That's a good one. That there is no brand that can survive without being staying innovative and lean and nimble. No one is safe, including Amazon. Hmm.
1: You didn't always believe that was the case? (laughs)
0: i didn't think that was true for everybody yeah (laughs) but now i do
1: no one is immune
0: no one's immune no brand
1: yep so may you tell us a little bit more about we've heard a little bit about what kibo does along the way but give us the elevator pitch and the type of customers that
0: you work with Kibo provides a unified commerce platform that helps online and multi-channel retailers and brands not only deliver a better shopping experience through the e-commerce platform, but also with the investment in personalization technologies really individualize and optimize every touchpoint from landing on a website to searching through keyword searches to product category pages, all the way through to post-purchase, emails, all of it really personalizing the entire customer journey on top of an e-commerce platform that also on the back end offers a distributed order management system so that you can ensure smooth delivery and fulfillment of the merchandise through if you have multiple distribution centers. So one of the things that's interesting about order fulfillment and order management, it's not as sexy as personalization and machine learning, but it is part of the customer experience, right? If you don't get your product, then that's not a good experience. So we enable the entire customer lifecycle, leveraging data and our cloud-based technologies. And we work with some of the largest retailers. I mentioned some of the names, but also in, tra- in different categories, hardware, home goods, soft goods, fashion, and really around the globe. Some of the largest online retailers and brands and multi-channel retailers are Google clients, about probably 700 of them, if
1: not more. Great. Well, thank you so much, Maya, for coming on the show. Great to speak with you.
0: Thank you, Carrie. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed it.